Welcome to Parenting That Kid. My name is Ashley Tolliver. As a mom of twins, one being a highly sensitive child who responds to the world in a non-traditional and sometimes challenging way, I understand the desire to find the golden answer. Maybe there is no golden answer, but there are resources, tips, and tricks we can all use to help us make this uniquely normal parenting journey a little more fun. This podcast is a roadmap to parenting that kid for myself and other parents. If recording my journey as I seek a clear starting point, community, and effort to normalize what sometimes feels abnormal supports at least one parent, then my time is not wasted. And hey, if it doesn't, well, there's documented proof that moms deserve a glass of wine. Cheers! On today's episode of Parenting That Kid, I get to speak with Jill Moeller. I am so excited to speak with this lady because she actually was the person that helped me in understanding why my child needed occupational therapy and what occupational therapy actually is. Jill holds a bachelor's of science degree in occupational therapy, and she started a career in pediatrics in 1999, working in and out of schools and clinic therapy settings because her passion for kids on autism spectrum and her belief that the world of possibilities for them is endless. She holds a level one certification through the Handwriting Without Tears program and is certified to administer and interpret the sensory integration and praxis test. This includes planning and implementation of appropriate treatment of sensory processing disorder. Jill understands the journey of what this is as a therapist, but also as a mom. She has two boys that have received speech and occupational therapy. And I can tell you this episode is jam-packed with some great tips and tools for parents who maybe don't understand occupational therapy. Maybe they don't even understand sensory processing disorder. But I can guarantee you as you work your way through this episode, you're going to wish you got a chance to spend some time with Jill and go play at her therapy sessions. So my first question for you is what do you do? What is occupational therapy? Or as you see on Facebook a lot, OT. And then, of course, that strikes up a lot of questions. For sure. Um, I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. Um, OT basically teaches skills for daily life. Um, If you think about occupation as the word activity, your daily activity, Um, as it pertains to peds in a a pediatric setting with kids, their daily occupation is play or to learn. Um, It's more what we're working on in pediatric OT. Okay. So that would be different than, I guess, an adult going to occupational therapy. They're not so much playing, but learning. Yes, the daily occupation Right. Um, if you're an adult going to OT, OT actually started back, gosh, I think it was World War II, uh, could be World War I, but it started with the daily occupations. As the soldiers were wounded, um, getting hurt and coming back from war, they were finding they couldn't do their daily occupations, meaning their daily ac- activities, dressing, um, grooming, bathing, that stuff. So they had to find a way to develop strategies, somebody to help them with adaptations now that they had a, a change in life kind of thing. Um, So that's where it came from. The term occupational therapy came from our daily occupation, primarily from soldiers coming back from war. Um, And then that evolved to, if you've had a stroke, um, your daily occupations, again, addressing baby grooming Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. If you've had shoulder replacement or injury, hand injury, there there are OTs that just focus on hand injuries, um, Mm -hmm. solely just the hand. There's psych OTs, and a lot of them are in like a VA setting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then um, ortho OTs, rehab, 
neurological OTs, you know, coming from strokes or injuries, stuff like that. And then in pediatrics, a lot of times when you see pediatric OT, people think of a private clinic, private practice clinic, um, which is what I work in, sensory integration. You may hear those words that come along with that as well. Um, <clears throat> kids on the autism spectrum, sometimes we're looking at just handwriting. Sometimes we're looking at um, syndromes, congenital anomalies, um, intensive care units, you know, neonatal intensive care units, hospital settings. OTs are all over the place. Um, so then doing how daily it, activities. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. So how does this support their daily life and their family life? Is it just to make, make it a little bit easier to get through the day? Or is this focusing on something specific that they're struggling with? Um, as they Are we talking about specifically with peds? Yeah, with peds. Yeah, with little ones. Well, like yeah. with our kiddos. Yeah. yeah. So take, for example, how I, I said that if the daily activity of a child is to play and to learn. Well, mm -hmm. we have to look at, well, what is learning? So learning is all of the information that our brain is taking in. It's all that unseen stuff. We don't see it happening, but it's that information that our brain is gathering through our systems, whether it's our reflex system, um, which is helping us to understand movement. That's what our reflexes do. They mm -hmm. help us learn how to move. Um, we have our tactile system, which is our sense of touch. Um, we're taking in everything from there. Our proprioceptive system, that is the info that we're getting from our muscles and joints. We have a vestibular system, which is what we're learning about. It's that unconscious information that we're getting from our inner ear. That's actually about our position in space. Um, those things all combine together, the, the reflex system, the tactile, the proprioceptive, the vestibular, that gives us our kinesthetic awareness, which is our body awareness, um, kind of where we are in space where we are. We also add to those sensations, the visual and the auditory systems, because those give us information about our environment as well. Right. So that's where learning takes place. We put all of that together. We make it kind of our, our storehouse of knowledge that we have of what we've learned, that we can demonstrate what we've learned. And we demonstrate that by performance. So usually when parents are wondering, gosh, do we need OT? Is this something we're doing? It's because they're looking at performance. Hmm. Performance is speaking, gesturing, handwriting, um, written expression, hopping, skipping, jumping, riding a bike. Those are all performance motor activities. We're giving motor responses to what we have learned. So as an OT, it's my job to, if you come to me and say, you know, we're noticing that balance or whatever the performance skill, handwriting, um, meltdown, social, emotional, that kind of stuff. We're seeing these things. It's my job to say, okay, where's the hitch in the giddy up, so to speak, mm -hmm. of learning? Where do we need to go back to? Is this a reflex system? Is this a startle you know, a, a startled reflex that's going off um, and creating, you know, if we get startled, adrenaline shoots off mm -hmm. and cortisol. And it's like if we're driving and we almost get into a wreck, well, there goes adrenaline, cortisol. We grab the steering wheel, our jaw clenches. So now we're in that fight or flight zone. So if you have a kiddo that has a, a, a startled reflex that sets off more easily than the next kiddo, maybe somebody just trying to play catch with them on the playground has just thrown a ball. And that sets off a startle, a visual startle. Well, did that just release adrenaline? Did that just release cortisol, those hormones that are getting us in fight or flight? So now a kid just goes up, so to speak, like on a roller coaster. We're up high, we're on high alert. Mm. It takes about 20 minutes for that flood to go away of those hormones of adrenaline and cortisol. So after that 20 minutes, then we kind of melt a little bit. It's kind of like jello. Back to if you're almost in a car accident, your heart rate goes up. You're kind of uh, trying to catch your breath kind of thing. And then you realize afterwards, oh, 
I was almost in a wreck. I'm totally just mush now. You know, like mm-hmm. you're a little bit overwhelmed. Um, and that's what's happening to our kiddos at school. Uh, and that's on a reflex. That was a reflex example. Um, it could be auditorily that that reflex goes off. Maybe someone drops a book or flushes a toilet. Well, now I've just set off adrenaline and cortisol, which gets me up in that hyper fight or flight mode. And um, so they end up kind of riding a roller coaster all day of that adrenaline cortisol flooding the system if that reflex system's off. So then my job as an OT is let me pick that system out for you and teach you mom and dad and caretaker some reflex integration techniques. Maybe it's coming from the tactile system. Maybe I don't like the way that that tag feels in my shirt or the seams line up or, you know, you have kiddos that are, I'm only going to wear this soft pair of cotton sweats with this elastic waistband, you know, whatever it is, we get very rigid and stuck in that moment. Yeah. So that's our job is to give you strategies that you can use then at home to help to calm that system a little bit um, from there. So really any of those systems, it's our job to see where in learning we kind of have that little hiccup that's affecting our performance. You talked about like emotional um, reaction to things. I would assume Mm -hmm. just because kids are so small and they're still learning how to express themselves. um, I don't know if appropriately is the word, but express themselves so adults can understand without this big meltdown. Do you find that? Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that that generally is how kids react when they, their senses are overpowered or their, um, their, um, their neuromuscular or any actually sense is just too strong for them, that their emotions are kind of the first thing that react that we as adults visualize and see? Absolutely. So what you're getting is you see a few different things. What if my first emotion is anger mm-hmm. as a kid? Because I haven't, learned, you know, they're, they're limited on their being able to label mad, sad, glad right. kinds of things. And then if we're looking at performance, maybe we don't have the language to speak mm-hmm. what it is that's frustrating us. So then it's going to come out in a physical, again, clenching of the fist, tightening of the jaw. Now that I just hit somebody, did I punch? Am I in a full-blown meltdown, you know, kind of thing? Because I just don't have the words to label it. Mm-hmm. Or I don't have the effective self-coping skills to find a strategy to help um, with that, so to speak. Um, absolutely. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like every child needs OT then because, of course, everybody has meltdown moments and things that trigger us. Do you have an ideal client that you look at and go, oh, that child could definitely use OT and that one? Well, they're just five. Mm-hmm. You know, you do. You have to weed that out again. Um, you have to look at, and I often use the the comparison of a microwave or an oven when we're talking about meltdown. Okay. When your child melts down, is it? a microwave and the heat is on and then when we're finished with it we move on mm-hmm. and we go from it or is it like an oven and it took us a little while to get there and now we're going to have to bring it back down we got to kind of process we got to go mm. through it we have to move through it that way um, I talk to parents a lot about is your child an oven is your child a microwave so we can kind of start there so we can get our strategies yes I think OT benefits everybody and um, we can talk about that later and, and my thoughts mm-hmm. on motor labs at schools and things mm-hmm. like that but um, Definitely my ideal, when, you, when you're asking my ideal mm-hmm. client, I always, when you go for an OT evaluation, you're first going to come in, you're going to meet your therapist, and they are going to do observations, standardized testing, things that help them get a nice thumbnail sketch of who your child is in an hour and a half, even though you've had years to get to know this person, they're going to spend, you know, that hour and a half to get a thumbnail sketch. And then we're going to sit down and go over the plan of care, like the report that your therapist has generated and have a consultation about what that is. And I always share with parents, and this is just me on my journey. We're, we're all different, but 
I always tell parents that it takes one to know one. Mm. And I am one. I was one. I totally get as a child that I was hyperactive Mm. and that I was impulsive. I was silly. I um, realized that I had to use humor to make up for what I wasn't figuring out how to do in motor planning because I hadn't learned stuff yet. I didn't know how to perform. I understand all that now mm-hmm. as an adult and 20 years into being a therapist. But at the time, I was just a kid that realized it was starting to affect my self-esteem. So if I made people laugh, that made me feel better. But I would also, I you know, cry and break down and melt down because I couldn't process it. So those kiddos for me are the ones that I can say, hey, I've taken those steps on your journey. I get it. And now I'm a mom of a child who is of that ilk. And I'm a totally different therapist now than I was then. I had my child, my first child, 11 years into being an OT. So, oh, the families I've wanted to call that I've treated in those first 11 years. I'm like, I am so sorry I ever asked you to do something every two hours, every two waking hours, you know, because it's hard. I believe in that program and I like what that program has to offer. But it's hard as a parent when you're trying to figure out, is this what we're doing? Is this what we need? I think it helps to have somebody who's been on that journey. And, yeah. and I've been there. I, I lived it as a child and now I'm living it as a parent. And so it is really hard to weed out that's just typical five-year-old behavior. Or, you know what? I feel like that oven is taking a little while longer to mm-hmm. let go of that heat mm-hmm. than it is, you know, let's start working on some more effective self-coping strategies, teaching things to the family, as well as teaching the child how to advocate for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. All I think that's so big is this is a family process. It is 100% because none of us fly solo, right? We all are a unit, whether it's at work, at family, whatever. And mom and dad are trying to hold it together during these times when child is trying to hold it together and then siblings are watching, you know, we're, we're totally a group together. We, we share the joy and, and we celebrate the joy and we comfort the sadness together. So then do you give the family tools then how they can all work with this child or work as a family unit with a child who might be struggling? For sure. For sure. We will, you know, we'll even bring in siblings into the session if we need to, you know, it's all about maintaining rapport with your therapist too, of good communication of this is what we're going through at home. How can we work on this? So Mm -hmm. do we bring the sibling in just to play a game at the end of every session so we can Mm -hmm. work on more effective self-coping skills or expected behavior of, ooh, I see you were really wanting that one, you know, trying to model that for them mm-hmm. of what the expected behavior would be. Um, just having consultations with parents, come sit in with the session, let's go over um, this technique, let me show you this reflex integration technique that could help with this or, um, you know, something as simple as gum, keeping gum in your pocket. When you chew gum, we're, we're doing heavy work through our jaw. We're said to release serotonin and norepinephrine whenever we have um, heavy work through our joints, that compression mm-hmm. and that traction. It's why runners get a runner's high because mm-hmm. they're doing that compression with every single step and they're releasing that serotonin, that norepinephrine. So if we can just have that little switch, that little tool in our pocket that can either be a piece of gum or dried fruit, something with a bite mm-hmm. and a tug that when you pull that, you're releasing serotonin and norepinephrine through the jaw. And those effects last for, it's said to be 90 to 120 minutes, which is why that brushing protocol that I was Mm -hmm. talking about earlier, they say to do that every two hours. Because what we're wanting to do is release serotonin and norepinephrine by doing those joint compressions. Before you're doing the brushing, that kind of stuff, that's to calm that tactile system that's hypervigilant or over-responsive to 
the tags in the shirt, whatever it is that's triggering it. But through her research, she found that, oh, all of these people that I'm researching are showing more calm, alert states, better regulation, that stuff. So that's why a lot of therapists will try the brushing protocol with families because it's non-invasive. Just do it for a couple of weeks. You may see disequilibrium before you get to equilibrium, mm -hmm. and it may not be the best fit for you, but that's okay. That's our job as a therapist is to try and find the tools that work best for you and your family. Can you, um, what's the name of the brushing? The brushing yeah. protocol is called yeah. the wheelbarger protocol. Um, some people will call it the deep pressure proprioceptive, but let's say DPPT, um, deep pressure proprioceptive technique. Okay. Um, I believe it's what the DPPT comes from, but um, her name is Patricia Wilbarger, and she okay. developed this protocol called the Wilbarger protocol, but um, you'll see it in schools and, and, mm -hmm. and therapy clinics as brushing. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a great tool to try. It doesn't work for everybody, but it's non-invasive and it's natural and, and you can try it. It doesn't hurt anything. Well, you just kind of um, answered something that runs through my head all the time. So I, with the brushing protocol worked for a while for our little boy and it's, um, he's kind of like mm -hmm. over it now. And he rearranges yeah. his bedroom regularly because he has heavy furniture that he pushes. And he, <laughs> all the time, and he finds things to How smart of him. Yeah, until he pushes and closes the door, <laughs> we can't get in. <laughs> and he finds things to move. Again, how smart of him. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> he rearranges everything in our house, though. He picks things up and puts them on top of things and moves things. And we have found if he is building, physically building things and moving heavy, heavy things, he's a happier kid. And so yeah. instead of doing the brushing, sometimes I will have, <laughs> sometimes I'll have him massage my back and push really hard and he loves it. And then he's happier and he'll sleep better. <laughs> but well, and I, that's win-win for both of you. It is. I feel like if I can get something out of it, he can too. <laughs> but the yeah. chewing the No, gum, I think that's brilliant. The chewing that's, the gum. that's heavy work. Yeah. <sighs> that's a small version of heavy work. It's through the jaw. Um, beef jerky, fruit leather, oh. you know, dried fruit, all those things are great to get that bite and that tug so that okay. you're, you're pulling. Um, there's so much you can do to regulate your system through your senses. Mm -hmm. That's, we were giving ideas of through the mouth um, with, with gum, doing things like a smoothie, deep, heavy stuff. That's how we calm babies to get them to go to sleep mm -hmm. is through suction, um, whether it's nursing or pacifiers, you know, whatever, that's what calms them. So mm -hmm. if you have a child that you see is starting to get in that red zone, or you know, if after school, maybe they've held it together all day at school from riding that adrenaline roller coaster, and then they're going to get home with you and start to melt because they've held it together. Um, a good after school thing would be, okay, maybe we want to make smoothies, something hmm. that creates a deep suction um, through there to help calm that system. Wow. We can do a lot with food. If you have a low system, a low arousal engine um, in a child, then you want to do something cr crunchy or alerting or grapefruit, sour, you know, something that can help to jump that system. Oh. <clears throat> Pardon me. So is that um, different? Well, are there differences? Because I see this a lot. There's seekers and then there's... Um, avoiders, avoiders, minor mm -hmm. seekers. So I'm like, what's the other word? But yeah. So can you yeah. explain the difference of those and what you would do differently or what these children, how they present themselves differently? Sure. So a sensory seeker, um, and you know, you can be a seeker and an avoider, you know, mm -hmm. like I like going back to myself and pulling from myself as a child, mm -hmm. I was totally a hyperactive bouncing off the walls, lots of movement, lots of heavy work, couldn't sit still sensory seeker. Let me jump up as high as I can. Hey, let's put the trampoline by the house. Let's climb the fence, get on the house and jump down on the trampoline. Mm -hmm. Like those were the things I was coming up with mm -hmm. as a kid. But I also 
did not want any scenes on my socks. I hated the tag. I still to this day don't want light touch. I mean, my, my husband knows not to come up to me and like graze my arm or so. Mm-hmm. It makes me clench my fist, which is reflexive. It goes back to that. So you can be both. But what you want to do is start to find, okay, if, if my sensory seeker is, is really high and, and impulsive and moving and grooving, we want to do things that are more heavy work related. So that's the gum, the chewing. Um, the heavy work through the joints, the suction through the smoothie, things that are calming, centering. Okay. Whereas if I have the lower arousal child, um, I want to do things to pick up that system. I want them to be jumping. Uh, Jumping is is joy, literally. Mm -hmm. Like when you start jumping, you start to feel joy um, because you're releasing serotonin. It's it's, it's like a joy reflex, you know, like you're you're jumping Mm -hmm. for joy, literally. Um, and that works for everybody, you know, like just to get a little bit of movement. That's through, those are examples through um, eating. You can get it visually too. If you need to bring your system down, looking at something like an aquarium or a water and oil drip toy. I think if you're on Amazon, they're called liquid motion toys, mm-hmm. but you know, where the water fall or the oil falls through the water or like a, a colored corn syrup slowly moves. Those are very calming and centering. So I remember when my older son would get into, you know, he had a little bit of a language delay. So we had more of, you know, kind of the banging of the head, the hitting of the hand and, and the getting mad mm-hmm. and really turning up the heat. Even though he was in microwave and he would shut it off, it would get really high. But I remember just kind of rolling an eye tool over there to him. Like, here, you just look at that for a little bit and just calm down. Just use your eyes to help yourself center and calm. Hmm. Um you can do it through, you know, we said jumping, even this sounds really awful, but when you're in the shower, it sounds awful to me because I am, I want a warm shower. I want to come out with like first and second degree burns on my skin because it's so hot. But if you can take that last minute of a shower and turn it to cold, your mitochondria, like in your body, they jump up, they wake up like, okay, let's do this. Let's, let's get the day going. It's that same feeling you get when you jump into a cold pool or the lake, it resets everything. It wakes up all that mitochondria in your body. Um, so it's really interesting how you can, your body can heal itself and getting outside can really start to help to heal too. But then going through OT, we need to learn how to integrate some reflexes. You know, we're, we're here to help you strategize and give you techniques that you can use to then carry through your day, um, each day, you know, as your child grows and and ages. And there are things that work for, for kiddos and for parents, because honestly, if you have a kiddo in your house that... Uh, can be explosive or can melt down or, you know, has poor self coping skills that affects everybody and everybody needs to find a way to calm and to center and, and, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I find that the whole family um, quickly switches the mood in the family quickly switches when that starts to happen. And then we all have to find a balance again. So how do people, absolutely? how do people come to find you? I know we found you because our school recommended you. And then of course our pediatrician was on board, but how do people come to find OT or know that they're, maybe they should start considering options to come and see an, an occupational therapist? Yeah. Um, come to find me. They might come to find me a little goofy at first <laughs> and decide that it's all good. But no, um, come to find OT. So yeah, you'll, you'll usually, you come from either an educator, a school, okay. a doctor, somebody will give you a referral, a friend of, hey, I see where you're going through. This is what we've been doing. Um, my recommendation, if somebody refers you to OT, is to do a little bit of research. Why don't you call your insurance company, see who your providers are, and then take that list and go to their website. And you can really, 
if you're reading the bios of those staff, you can probably find somebody who kind of fits your areas of concern. Um, you know, maybe you're concerned that your child is a very picky eater and you would like to expand the repertoire of what they're eating. You might find in reading those bios that somebody says they really love working with feeding kids. So then you know, mm -hmm. oh, okay, when I call to get that about, I'm going to ask for Tammy or, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, or you might find that so-and-so really likes to teach a child how to ride a bike and that's your area of concern or someone is certified in handwriting. You know, you, by reading their bios, you can find a lot of info and you may not be able to get in on their schedule. They may be full. They may only work a couple days a week, you know, but at mm -hmm. least it gives you a starting point to be familiar with. You know what, Jill seems to have a child that's going on this journey. She's certified in handwriting, she's certified in sensory integration, you know, whatever it is you're looking for, um, mm -hmm. enjoys kids on the autism spectrum, you know, something like that. You can start to learn a lot before you even make that phone call to a clinic okay. of what you're looking for in a therapist. Huh. Um, and like I said, those schedules may not sync up, they may not line up, but at least gives you a little bit of a jumping point to know what you're looking for, what your concerns are. And you may get into that OT evaluation and start doing OT and find that, oh, well, maybe this pickiness and eating is coming from this and not that, you know, so it may not be exactly what you think it is that's giving you that performance somewhere, you know, wherever the hiccup has happened in the learning, but it'll definitely weed out, but you can certainly find um, more about the therapist and kind of special request somebody if you'd like by looking at their bios and see who seems to fit that. Um, specifically, how to find me here in the Austin area, I work between two clinics. Um, one of them is uh, called From the Heart Therapy, and the other one is called Emily, which is kind of a, a tough name. A lot of people think we're saying em Emily, but it's an acronym for more, <laughs> it's M-L-E-E, the more love enriches everything. Mm. Um, I work between those two clinics, and actually this summer, I'm just going to be, since my boys are at home, I just scale back to one day a week, so mm. I'm just going to be at Emily for the summer. Um, but, and you can certainly share my email address okay. that you have there, I'm more than happy to, to be a resource to help guide people on this journey of which way to go. Oh, thank you. Um, soon, in the next, my goal in this next month is um, to further, it's, it's in its infancy right now, but I've started a motor lab business yeah. where I go to schools and um, train the teachers on what is a motor lab here's how we use it, train the kids on what's expected of them in a motor lab, as well as classroom strategies. But the idea is that I can reach one kid at a time at work and then by proxy just the family and, and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But if I were to go to schools where maybe there are two or three kids in a classroom who are movers and shakers or somebody who's chewing on their shirt all through class or somebody who's holding on so tightly to that pencil that they're breaking their lead, that tells me that's their proprioceptive system, you know, that they're not getting good input from their muscles and joints. Or the child who, it's like they cannot sit still when they talk to you. They have to move. That's a vestibular kid who's getting that information from their inner ear about where they are in space. They need to move. Hmm. So what we do in a motor lab is we bring them in, and they all do warm-ups. We call them warm-ups. But those are actually reflex integration techniques that we're doing for warm-ups. And core training. Core training is so important for all of us. But especially for kids as they're getting in school, you want to have a good balance between your flexors on the front of your body and your extensors on the back of your body because that's what gives you your postural control to sit in your seat. Hmm. Now they're wanting you to sit in your chair and attend to then do coloring, scissors, writing, whatever it is. Your trunk has to develop before your visual 
tracking can develop, you know, like to really track and read on a line or place your letters on a line, those performance things, again, you have to have learned it through your trunk and your muscles um, and your reflex system, how to sit there. So when they come into a motor lab, they're doing like flying like Superman and then curling into popcorn because they're working their core. So I always encourage parents who are on my caseload to, I don't want parents to feel like they're a therapist. I'm a therapist and I don't want to feel like a therapist at home. I want to be mom. (laughs) But um, just do it through play, whether you're bear walking, crab walking, what you're doing is you're getting mobility on your stability. You've got to get your stability in your, in your core to then have mobility. But all that does, if you have your kids bear walking through the house or crab walking, wheelbarrow walking, just ways to move and work your core, they're strengthening that, but they're also going to be better at sitting in, in their chair at school or sitting in their chair while they're having dinner instead of having to stand up, walk around, move, wiggle, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. Um, so, so the idea for a very long answer is they come into a motor lab and they, they warm up their bodies and then they go through 10 stations and then oh. a station that every single station has learning in there through our senses. So they're doing spinning, they're doing rolling over balls, they're um, doing proprioceptive work, crawling on their hands and feet, working on their trunk, eye-hand coordination, coordination. Every station is set up to support that child in a school setting so that they can then be better readers, better writers, performance-based. Mm-hmm. But what they're doing in a motor lab is they're learning so that they can then go perform. How often would a child see you then, either in the motor lab or just out in private um, therapy? How in often? private or, practice? Yeah, well, yeah. Or I guess if there are different answers, yeah. then yeah, once a day, they once are. a week. I mean, well, all- it totally depends. In a private practice, you're typically going to, it depends on if you're doing, like say you're doing two times a week. There's no prescription, so to speak, for how long okay. the duration of your therapy is going to be. I usually write my reports for a year. By no means am I saying that a child needs to be there for a year, mm-hmm. but it kind of gives you that time, right, wrong, or indifferent with insurance. You open up that I've just right. written a script for a year. Now, insurance may come back and say, but we're only going to give 20 visits, and then they want you to rewrite things, and we would be following that up throughout mm-hmm. the time anyways, looking at goals. But you know, you could do two times a week. One time a week could be maintenance. It really just depends on what your schedule is. Um, and I am a big believer in, in we got to do this as a family. We have to come in as a whole, have good communication. And this is what you're working on at home. And, it, and it's not like you have homework, so to speak. It's just try this at home. Like we just said, bear walking, crab walking, something. Um, in a motor lab, that's a, a different one. That's Ideally, you want them to come in at least twice a week, like every other day. So they're getting some, I actually have research going right now from, um, I started one at my kid's school just through the PTA. Um, I asked them to just buy the parts, you know, the pieces for it and that I would run it. I'd volunteer to man it. But I started following handwriting. So I'm in my second year of following their handwriting. So hopefully the idea is the kids who've been going, because some teachers, there's one teacher that goes every single day and another one that goes every other day and one that goes once a week. So the idea would be those kids going daily are performing better right. than, you know, those that are going once a week. So we'll, we'll weed it out and see huh. and go from there. But, but so yeah, when it comes to private practice OT, I would, you should be getting things that you can do daily and then checking in, you know, a couple times a week yeah. with your therapist or whatever is on your, you know, what works best for your plan. 
So you talked about bear walking. We do that too here and like the popcorn, all that. Do you have other tips and like tricks at home or games that people can play with their kids or even just tools? I know we have a rubber, this big, thick rubber band on the bottom of our chairs for our kids' feet to bounce at dinner time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because my daughter does rubber it, bands so. on chairs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. And that's she's a vestibular child. Oh, she's yeah. a kid who gets, who's seeking information through that inner ear. Um, oh, yeah. The thing about this, the vestibular is I'm a huge fan of swings. I love swings. Take mm-hmm. your kid to the park, get outside, yep. get some vitamin D and mm-hmm. stick your hands in the dirt. Um, yes. But swings are great because your vestibular center is said to have memory for up to eight hours of what you've done. So it's wow. that reason why if you've been on a boat or if you've gone roller skating and you lie down to go to bed within eight hours of doing that, you still feel that movement. Mm-hmm. Like you're still rocking or you still feel like your feet are moving. It's because your vestibular center remembers that. Um, you may have heard the term sensory diet, uh-huh. like if you give yourself a sensory diet and a sensory diet, your big meals are your vestibular and your proprioceptive, um, okay. input. So that's your hop. The vestibular is going to be swinging on a swing, um, riding, you know, like on a skateboard or a scooter board or a bike, like you're getting that movement mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, hopper balls are great. They do both. You're getting movement and you're getting that deep, heavy pressure that's coming into your muscles and your joints that's telling you where you are in space, which is proprioceptive. Mm-hmm. Um, those are your big meals in a sensory diet. And then your snacks would be the little things that you put in there, whether it's the eye tools we talked about earlier, a little hand fidget tool. We didn't talk about those, but you know, something you can keep in your pocket. If you have a fidgety kid that needs to move, get some energy out, maybe it's a good thing to keep, whether it's a smooth rock in their pocket. Um, mm-hmm. I really like, I don't even know if people know what phone cords look like anymore, but there were, <laughs> you know, a coiled up cord. Yeah. I loved those. They, they make these that are just these coil and you can just kind of pull it out and let it go and pull it. But it's a great fidget. A good one for a school setting is just a piece of Velcro under the table. It's really great because then you can just rub it with your hands. So you're getting some tactile input. You're getting a little bit of movement. Um, you may have heard people talk about high tone or low tone. You know, if you have a low tone child, um, tone is just the resting state of the muscle. I am a low tone individual. Doesn't mean that I can't be athletic and a dancer and have definition in my muscles, that kind of stuff. I just have to work a little bit harder. I'm going to be a little bit more ligamentously lax, a little more flexible. Um, and I might be more prone to bounce my foot while we're talking or, you know, I have to move while we're eating dinner, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of more indicative of low tone. So you want to do that heavy work, that stuff that really helps you to know where you are in space through your joints and um, your muscles, stuff like that. A higher tone individual is somebody that you really want to do yoga with to kind of stretch a little bit, stretch those muscles out um, kind of thing. Huh. Wow. I've never heard that. That's impressive. I like that. So neat. Um, Do you work closely with other professionals in this um, in this organization, do you find that you're working with speech therapists if you're having a child who cannot verbalize things? Uh, trying to Absolutely. We work with speech. Mm-hmm. We work with, um, I love working with speech. There's so much to learn. And there's, there's this little saying of what you want at the lips, you get at the hips. You know, yeah. like if you have, you got to get your trunk in order to get that mouth in order too. Because again, it's all learning to then perform, you mm-hmm. know, so Speech and OT work great together mm-hmm. um, like that. We work with PT. We also work with um, educators, teachers, psychologists, um, caretakers, nannies, all that stuff. Because, again, we're all, all of us are seeking to be whole, you know. Like, we don't fly solo. We're not alone. We're, we're, we're just wanting to be whole. Um, okay. 
in all of this. So is for that sure, the same with the motor lab? Does, does the motor lab pull in other professions? Absolutely. Um, yes. At my, at the boys' school, like I said, this is kind of a pilot um, thing at their school, and I did it solely because my boys need to get movement in. Like I know people say a lot to get the wiggles out, but I think mm-hmm. of it as getting the wiggles in. Like we mm-hmm. got to get that into our body so we can feed those systems that learn to then perform. So our motor lab at our school is I, I went in and I trained all the teachers. We did like a three hour training of why this works and why this is what we're doing. And these are the techniques. And then I go in and I manage the stations and I, I change them all out. They change frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way it's used at our school is say a child gets a referral to, for behavior to go see the assistant principal. She will meet them in the motor lab and maybe they're going to jump it out on the trampoline while they talk about it so they can get some movement in. So mm-hmm. they use it as a resource for those referrals to the office for behavior. Um, Our school counselor takes in small groups. Um, They'll go. We even have like a leadership opportunity on Friday afternoons. I have a first grade class that comes in and we bring in fourth graders. Um, Quest is is at our school. It's called the, you know, the talented and gifted or gifted and talented. Mm -hmm. A lot of kids in one class leave and go to Quest. And then there are the other kids that are in there. And the teacher, that fourth grade teacher and I talked about what a great opportunity for them to lead, for those kids to be leaders. So they go in and they manage each station, like how I said there are 10 stations. So a fourth grade leader will follow or will lead the fourth, the first graders through those stations. So it gives leadership opportunities to kids. Um, some teachers go in, sometimes just the early learners group will come in, which is like a preschool mm-hmm. group. Sometimes um, it'll just be the structured learning education, which are more the kids that need um, more of a structured learning environment that are not in just the, the mainstream classroom. Um, it really just varies. The whole school uses it in different ways. And I love it. I think it's great. Um, sometimes they'll just take one kid out for their inclusion minutes through special ed and they'll go down there and, and get some movement in. Oh, awesome. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, it's so exciting to think about because oh. if you, and I think I started to touch on this earlier, say you have two or three kids in one classroom of 20 that need a lot of redirection, whether it's for behavior, for movement, there's disruption coming. And then maybe other kids are losing teaching time and teaching minutes because that teacher is having to redirect. So the goal and the idea is if we get everybody's body centered and calm and ready for that just right place for learning, then there's less redirection happening over here and more teachable moments happening over here, you know. So it's win-win for everybody. How amazing for all of those kids. Yeah. And whether a parent thinks, well, my child doesn't need that. We don't need to work on that. Well, everybody can work on core. Every right. single one of us can improve our core. Um, you know, as we get older, I can reach up to put a plate away and I pull my back, you know, <laughs> like, I need to work on my core or whatever. So, and that's another thing, you know, I think we started to talk about, about just getting outside, yeah. putting our school as an outdoor classroom, you know, mm-hmm. go outside, stick your hands in the dirt. They're said to be and one teaspoon of soil is said to have more microorganisms in it than we have people in the world. Like That's there's so, cool. so much healing in that dirt, you know, that, that can help our bodies. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So what tips do you have for parents who have children that either are coming to you or that, you, <laughs> that should be coming to you? Those are those with kids that are just really big in their emotions and how they express things because they can't mm-hmm. express things the correct way. Do you have um, tips and advice being a parent yeah. of kids and then, of course, seeing them daily at work? <laughs> Yeah, so this is probably going to be like a long six-fold <laughs> answer, but 
my first thing is for being a parent of a child, and, and I think I said earlier, there were so many families I wanted to go back and call once yeah. I started on this journey. And and I know that, like I said, it takes one to know one. And I know that my little nut fell straight from my tree, you know, like he <laughs> fell right down from there. And, and he's going to grow up to be a great, big, beautiful, strong oak. But right now we're a little nutty coming up. So um, I think that as a parent living that day to day, a couple of things that I try and follow for myself is comparison is toxic. Mm. It is absolutely toxic. Like if I start comparing my child and to, you know, the cousins that are the same age or my friend's kids, then I get in this little toxic place that mm. I don't like that at all. So I have to put comparison aside and stay in my lane. Um, I think, you know, it's a tough one, but isolation is real and, and it's hard. You know, you get invited to birthday parties and, maybe my child functions differently at a birthday party than your child functions. So then I start to back up and I start to isolate it like, Oh, I don't want to go do that. Cause that's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and then I start to realize, you know what, this is not a unique dilemma. I got to find my people. So, you know, other people are going through this. So if I go through all of those and I, and I go back to isolation and, and going to birthday, just the birthday party example, mm-hmm. I now am, and we're a little older now, but when we were in that, three to six year range where let's say two to six year range where we could really blow up and melt down. And, and here I am walking out of a place like, okay, that's us. Here's me driving my kid out. You know, that's what we're doing. <laughs> I got to a point where, okay, I'm going to advocate. I'm going to stop isolating myself and I'm going to advocate. And so I would call like say the birthday parties on Saturday. I would call on Friday. Thank you so much for inviting us to this party. We're so excited. This is going to be fun. We're really excited to be included. Um, I know it's silly that I'm calling you and thanking you for the party today, but our family functions a little bit differently and sometimes transitions can be hard. So um, I'm going to go ahead and say thank you now, because if we find an opportunity that we can walk away from the petting zoo at your birthday party without a big meltdown or without an explosion, I'm going to politely excuse ourselves. So please don't think that we're being disrespectful or we're upset with you or anything. I'm just saying thank you today for your party tomorrow. You know, like it kind of becomes a, you have to advocate for yourself and your child. And I know my voice cracks because now it's hitting home. You know, it's a, it's a daily thing. We all wake up and we're trying to, um, to navigate this and, and see where we go. And, and how I said that this is not a unique dilemma there are others who are swimming in the same waters as you. And um, I never thought that I would be a PTA mom, but your PTA is a really good resource or a private schools that maybe, you know, a parent organization of some sort, some kind of a group. But um, in the public schools, if you have a PTA, they should have what's called a SAGE chair, which is an acronym for special and gifted education. Okay. And um, that SAGE chair should be able to guide you of, uh, you know, I'm just not sure if I need accommodations in the classroom. You know, how do I do this? How do I do this at school? Or how do I ask for this? They should be able to say, you know, this is who you want to talk to. These are some of accommodations you could ask for. This might be what you're seeking, but start here. This is where your journey should start. Um, my PTA thing came from the Motor Lab. They had extra money left over from a fun run, and they asked parents to submit proposals for how to spend that. So then I came up with the let's buy some equipment for a motor lab and then let's buy some stools for the whole school, just optional seating, various seating, whether, <clears throat> and we ended up buying stools, but this year I want us to buy some bands, how you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. some chairs, um, just stuff like that. There are sensory tools because our kiddos, again, right, wrong, or indifferent, developmental norms are different and mm-hmm. being able to sit in a chair in class is different than what it was when I was a kid or when our parents were kids. Mm-hmm. And 
I am not at all advocating for our kids don't need to be harnessed down in cars because we do. We know that we're safer (laughs) restrained in a car. But when I was a kid, I wasn't restrained in a car. And whenever my parents would put on their brakes, I would have to adjust with my core so I didn't fall down. I had so many opportunities to move. Whereas now our kiddos are strapped into a car seat and we go sit in an hour in traffic so we're not moving. And then we get up and we go into whether it's you know, daycare or a grocery store. Now we're still sitting strapped down to this. So our whole life is looking up, our early life is looking up at the ceiling, Hmm. you know, or, oh, I'm just going to quickly run this errand real fast. So before we go home, let's just run in here and grab some dinner real fast. So now you're still sitting in here while we're at this meal. So they're being more restrained and, and they don't have that opportunity to move like they did when I was young or when my parents were young. Right. Um, kind of thing. Huh. So we're seeing that kids are having expectations to sit in chairs longer when their bodies haven't had that ability to learn yet. So we're building on faulty patterns without the learning and now they're being expected to perform. So you're seeing multiple kids in a classroom that are wigglers or movers or having behavior issues or, you know, chewing their shirts, whatever it is that they're doing. Um, and so that, that's a very long story for your PTA might be a good resource of whether it's funds to buy seating. Um, two years ago, we bought stand-up desks. So every class mm-hmm. had a stand-up desk. So mm-hmm. if a kid needed to stand, you know, there are options for finding your community, whether it's through PTA, whether it's through um, podcasts such as this, or parents just trying to advocate for themselves. But it all comes down to advocation and, and not comparing yourself mm-hmm. to anybody because that feels toxic and, and, and critics are everywhere. Yeah, comparison can kill joy. Super fast. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you brought up joy because that is a huge thing for me. Is is gratitude. Yeah. Um, we do a lot of work. My my kids keep. We try and keep a gratitude journal. We don't do it mm-hmm. daily, but just trying to find moments because otherwise we have a lot of frustration in our house. We have a lot of tears in our house. So we have to find to get back to that gratitude, I remind them that this is not a unique dilemma. There are others that are going through this. Let's find the joy in the moment, write it down if we need to, you know, and and us as parents, we have to model that for our kids. Um, A couple weeks ago, we had all those storms and our pool was just flooded and polluted with pollen and trees Mm. and branches. And so gratitude journal time that night, I was like, you know what? I am so grateful for all of that junk in the pool and that I got to net that out 11 times because I know that when it's 100 degrees, we're going to get to jump in there. Yeah. And so we have to sometimes put in the work to get to the joy. So, you know, yeah. I'm grateful for that moment to have that work. You know, so it's just finding opportunities to model huh. um, for parents that, and finding your community. I mean, it's so important to... Um, find that community and to not put yourself in a box. I think you Mm. said, you know, how they're not feeling discouraged. When this journey started with me, with my older son, when he was about about eight or nine months, I knew that something wasn't processing Mm. correctly. You know, I knew something was amiss. Um, And then I kept getting from pediatricians and from friends, you're just being a therapist, mom, knock it off. You're just (laughs) being a therapist. Mm -hmm. So finally by like 15, 18 months, I was like, somebody has to listen to me and talking to, a, a colleague and her son's about 10 years older than mine and has been on a similar journey. And she, I was talking to her about, you know, is this OCD? Is this sensory processing? Is this autism spectrum? What am I looking at? And she was like, stop trying to get into a box. Stop mm-hmm. trying to put yourself in a box and label it. Mm-hmm. And it was the best advice ever. Like, so I share that with, with listeners of don't keep crawling back into that box, you know, like mm-hmm. you, Sometimes it helps to get in that box of finding that label of I needed it for the education system. When mm-hmm. we got into first grade, the teacher said he needs more help. 
And the fastest way you're going to be able to work the system is if you have that diagnosis. So right. we went to a neuropsychologist and, and got a diagnosis, but had never lived in that box otherwise. So I, I do, I believe that now, like, don't claim that over yourself. Don't live in that box. And you know, dodge the thorns. Those thorns are everywhere. Keep moving through them and find those roses. And, I love that. Um, we we do. We are so quick to diagnose everything. I th- feel like in society these days, there is a diagnosis for everything. And and yet, if we keep saying that to ourselves and our children, they're going to start living that and believing that, and then that's what they're going to conform themselves to. And instead of just working absolutely. through whatever they're experiencing in that moment in time or in this period of their life and working through that, they're yeah. now stuck in this mindset that I do have sensory processing, I do have anxiety or autism or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. And I'm sure yeah. you see children on, with all different diagnoses and spectrums in and out of your um, practice because absolutely. a lot of them experience things similarly in the sense of the sensories being over or understimulated. Oh, well, and that's actually what goes back to if we start off all those years sitting in a five-point harness, and I'm not at all pointing blame or anything like that. It's it's, the, it's where we are right now as a society. We've got mm-hmm. to get up, get our kids, either we get over to work, we drive in traffic, we sit here, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just where we are as a people, but kids aren't getting all that experience to learn when they're little. And also food is a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. What we put into our bodies is what we're going to get out. So if you're seeing a lot of behaviors with your kiddos, start to look at food, you know, like how much processed food are we eating? What are the sugars? You know, things that processed food and and gluten are known inflammatory. So if your system is, if you're having inflammation, then you're going to slow your processing speed kind of stuff. You're going to be slower to process. If you're eating a lot of refined foods, uh, refined sugars, food dyes, things that are known to increase hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. So we really have to look at what we're putting into our kiddos. Um, that's a resource that I love that we did with our son is we went to neuronutrition. I don't know if you're familiar uh-huh. with them. Uh-huh. Um, but in this journey, believe me, can be like a second mortgage, you know, like it, yeah. it gets very <laughs> yes. expensive. But if you can pick and piecemeal through right. what's important to you, there's a lot of healing to be found in in what we're eating, what we're giving our kids. And a lot of our kids are picky eaters, and I would never say an elimination diet for a kid who only eats 12 things. We don't want to take anything away from that. You know, we want to figure out why there's the hitch and the giddy up of feeding and, and start to address that. But um, even simple things like sitting in an Epsom salt bath can detoxify. It's great. It's mm-hmm. great for everybody. Sit in a sauna, you know, uh, just to try and, and get those toxins out of your body of, of what we're exposed to. Our kiddos are exposed to so much more than we ever were as kids, and they're trying to navigate this world still based on the norms that we set generations ago. Yeah, we're expecting do you guys them work to perform with, at that level. Do you work with a nutritionist, or um, or is there such a thing as um, maybe a nutritionist that specializes individually. in kids? Yeah, individually, you know, like you can make referrals to them. We don't have one at our clinics. It's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Um, We have in years past, you know, there are some therapists that really love food and feeding and and feeding can take a long time. Food aversion can take a long time um, because that's one of the number one things kids can control is food going in. Um, So you can get very picky eaters, but for sure, maintaining rapport with and having Mm -hmm. referral sources for nutrition. Um, is a great idea. Even just going to people's pharmacy, you know, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I could live there. Uh, compounding pharmacy, something just to say, you know, this is what I'm experiencing. And what do you think? And then they can give you, you know, more natural things that don't have all the 
the sugars, the dyes, the preservatives, things that could be negatively impacting your child well, as well. It's interesting you say that the last person I interviewed said the same thing, that just detoxifying our systems, our children are so exposed and they don't have control over it. And we weren't exposed and our parents weren't as exposed. Um, And so eliminating things in your house, the toxins within your house, because you can't control outside Mm -hmm. your house, but using simple, plain things and your foods being as simple and plain as, you know, as one can handle, Mm -hmm. um, you can notice a huge change. Simple and plain, yeah. Yeah, like reuse. That. I mean, plastics are in everything that we're right. eating. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, for sure. Well, in our cleaning and our cosmetics. Negatively affecting us. Absolutely. Yeah. Lotions, soaps, everything that we do um, that we're putting on our kids. And it's, again, right, wrong or indifferent. It's, it's the state of where we are, but right. you do have to kind of do some research and make some choices to help mm-hmm. detoxify. So let's see, you gave so many good tips for parents, so many. So I usually ask, give me some takeaways, three takeaways, but oh my goodness, <laughs> you gave so many. <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah, I mean, takeaways, <laughs> yeah, well, let's see. So we did, we did takeaways, we, we, we did diet, you know, mm-hmm. what, what are we eating? Are we eating plant-based, a good probiotic, stuff like oh, that, yeah. exercise, um, core, getting in the sun, mm-hmm. what do we have? Um, you talked about gratitude. going outside. And, you know, I- I think going outside is just so valuable in so many areas. Um, but the core work yeah, outside, sure. gosh, I mean, just climbing a tree and having to find the balance on that limb. I love watching kids. Oh, for sure. Because their whole body just kind of wiggles you know until they find their center. <laughs> They're totally using their midline stability, finding yeah. that equilibrium to control their posture. Another good thing, which is an, another state of our society, is yard work. <laughs> pushing a broom and pulling a rake, yeah. you're going through reflex patterns. And what do reflex patterns do? They teach us to learn about movement and how we should move mm-hmm. um, and separating our head from our body and, and stuff like that, which we need when we drive. When you check your blind spot, you got to be able to turn and mm-hmm. look without your whole body moving or your car's going into the other lane, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. So yard work is huge. Just mm-hmm. having your kids push a broom. And honestly, kids love to work. They're, they're helpful little people, you know, like they, mm-hmm. and if you model that, they see it. Um, I think that listening to podcasts, such as, you know, you're doing right now, things that are life affirming um, to find your community and, and be grateful for what it is that your kiddos are teaching you. And by no means am I saying that this is all rainbows and unicorns because it's not, it's hard. You have to wake up every day and throw yourself in. To, yeah. All right, let's do this, you know, but, um, but the whole thing is seek and learn. And, and just how we talked about at the beginning, whatever we're learning becomes our knowledge to perform. And if we as parents can learn all we can, we're going to have better knowledge to perform better for our kids and model for them the behaviors that we want from them, you know, so. Can you share real fast before we end just some sensory tools that people might be able to purchase on Amazon or another private store that you find helpful within your house or even some books for parents? Um, Yeah, gosh. Um, And I can even provide you with those. Um, I don't know if you have, if it's just podcast or if you have like a a website or a blog or anything like that. Yeah, I'll throw it all on. But I can give you those too. Um, But yeah, like like I said, I love the liquid motion tools that are toys, um, which are the water and oil drip things, Mm -hmm. um, weighted blankets, weighted, Mm -hmm. you know, we all respond to to heavy weight, you know, Mm -hmm. and and kind of stuff. we did with our boys, we fed stuffed animals and we took stuffing out and we filled it with weighted pellets. Oh. So when they would ride in the car, because my people like to kind of fight and mess with each other, they're close <laughs> in age boys. And yeah. Yeah. so we're like, let's weigh them down. <laughs> so, but we just let them choose their own stuffed animal. And then we took the stuffing out of it and filled it up with weighted pellets. Love um, 
just to get that. And again, gum is, is your friend. Um, if you don't want the dyes and stuff like that, I like spry. Okay. Um, lots of different flavors. There's peppermint, cinnamon, fruit, you know, stuff like that. But yeah. I love spry gum. Um, I love dried fruit um, yeah. to, for that bite tug, anything going through the mouth. Um, smoothies, movement is so important. Um, I know people have heard of, you know, the out of sync child and the out of sync child has mm -hmm. fun and, and that gives some strategies. Um, but yeah, just getting outside is so important and, and modeling for your kids, which is so hard. It really is mm -hmm. hard to, mm -hmm. to maintain that because you're human too. And, and we all get frustrated, but right. yeah, I would just say, um, hopper balls are great. I love hopper balls. I love swings and, okay. and just it and like, like I said earlier, stuff. just, it is total everyday stuff, but that's what goes back to how we were saying that we, we yeah. teach, if you think of occupation as activity, like we're yeah. just teaching the skills of activity and things that we forget, you know, like we get in the hustle bustle and, and it's easy to put an iPhone in a kid's hand while we're wanting to have dinner and talk, but really, you know, maybe go sit outside, find restaurants to go sit outside. Being mm -hmm. outside has this positive negative charge, you know, of, of being out there and mm -hmm. like you said, climbing a tree and and just tinkering and messing with stuff, giving yourself, being bored is great. Go be <laughs> bored and find something to do, you know, like find something. But yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the tools that you can spend a lot of money on, on buying tools and things, but you can also go outside and, and tinker and throw a rock and, you know, or not a rock, but <laughs> just throw a ball or, you know, something. Um, I was looking out my window and I saw rocks. Um, but, you know, throw something because when you're throwing, you're moving through patterns. Again, you're separating the shoulder from the body and, you know, it's all just things that we don't do anymore. We don't farm our own land. We don't, we don't move through these patterns every day. So we have to find opportunities to do it um, so that we can learn to then perform. Wow. So much information. Thank you. Is there anything you would like to add that we didn't cover for the listeners? Gosh, you know, I don't know. I think we talked about finding your community and, and yeah. finding your spot. And, you know, I think all that is so important and the resources that you have for, you know, I, I think we covered a lot and it's yeah. my honor to, to sit and talk and I hope that it helps. And again, you, you can certainly share my, my info, my contact information. Oh, yeah. Um, email or anything. I'm more than happy to help somebody. Thank you so much. On this Jill. journey and be somebody's community. Thank you. It is my pleasure. Really... Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, uh, really. I'm truly I... blessed to have, to have met you and all the group of people that you work with over there. It's definitely opened our eyes to our children. And I really hope somebody else finds some tools and, and some support and guidance on what their next steps are with their little ones. Cause it's uh, like you said, it's a, every morning you wake up <laughs> and you're on this journey. You got to do it every single day and reset every day. I mean, we can have a great morning and then something boom happens and we have yeah. to reset again, you know, so yeah. it's constant. Just it's that roller coaster of keep some gum in your pocket or something to, to suck on a lifesaver or something and <laughs> go along for the ride. So. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jill. Absolutely. Have a great day. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to me today. If you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. This podcast is for you, the parent of that kid. So go ahead, tell me what you like. Have somebody you'd like me to interview and ask those nitty-gritty questions to? I'm ready for it. And hey, while you're at it, share this episode with somebody you think might benefit from hearing about it. And guess what, imperfect parent? Parenting that kid is hella hard, but I'm telling you it's worth it. You are rocking at this parenting journey.
Thanks for listening today. If you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes and leave me a review. This podcast is for you, the parent of that kid. So go ahead, tell me what you liked about this episode. Give me some ideas on what you'd like to hear. Maybe you have somebody you'd like me to ask those nitty gritty questions to. I'm ready. Oh, and if you have a friend who is also the parent of that kid, click that share button and empower them with some tools and tips as well. And by the way, imperfect parent, I know parenting that kid is hella hard, but I'm telling you it's worth it. You are rocking this parenting journey.